sermon series on four Gospels, one Jesus. So pray for you. Father, thank you so much for Morag. Thank you for your work in her life. And thank you that through her prayer, through her reflections, through her study of your word, and through her own testimony experience, uh, we know that you're going to speak to us this morning. And we pray that you would speak um, clearly to each of us. Open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. And good morning, everybody. Um, As Graham said, we are continuing with our sermon series where we're looking at the four Gospels and we're looking at the way that Jesus is portrayed by each of the writers. Matthew saw Jesus as a teacher and Mark, Jesus, the deliverer, the rescuer. And today we're looking at Luke, the book of Luke, where Jesus is seen as a healer and reconciler. First, some background on the book of Luke and on Luke. Luke was a Gentile by birth, well-educated in the Greek culture, and he was a physician, a doctor by profession. He was a friend and companion of Paul, and he accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey and stayed with him uh, during his final imprisonment in Rome, and in fact, he was a loyal friend who remained with Paul until he died. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Both books were addressed to an individual called Theophilus, who can be, that, that name can be translated as loved by God, but also carries the meaning friend of God. Luke is the most comprehensive gospel. He documents the story of Jesus all the way from the annunciation of John the Baptist to Jesus' ascension. Luke's is the most universal gospel, and Gentiles are often portrayed in a favorable light. Luke's gospel is the one most interested in women, children, and social outcasts. Luke's gospel is the one most interested in prayer. It's the one with the most emphasis on the Holy Spirit and in joy. Luke's gospel includes more parables than any other gospel, and it's the one with the most emphasis on the preaching of the good news, the preaching of the gospel. Luke wrote his gospel for a Gentile audience, emphasizing that the Messiah came for the poor, the lowly, the outcasts, and the Gentiles. Jesus wanted to bring the outsiders in. He wanted the lost to be found. Luke had a real heart for the poor and wanted to reach the marginalized since Jesus had come to preach good news to the poor. Luke believed that Jesus had come for all, for everyone, and this is mirrored in the writings of Paul. In Romans, Paul writes, in Jesus Christ, God acted to provide salvation for all who believe. Ephesians 2, verse 14 reads, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He's united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And Galatians 3, verse 28 reads, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Good news in Luke's gospel was bringing healing and reconciliation to all mankind, a ministry of reconciliation entrusted to us, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Today's talk is going to focus on the reading that we've just had and we're going to focus on the two healings. The healing of the leper, 
and the healing of the paralyzed man. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, what does this passage tell us? What can we learn from it? Well, first of all, we learn that Jesus is willing. The man said to him, Lord, are you willing? And Jesus replied, I am willing. And he reached out and he touched the leper. Now, this is an important point because he touched the leper before he'd healed him, before he was cleansed, thus showing that he was not able to be defiled by the man's uncleanness. What we've got to remember is that Jews at this time thought of themselves as a holy people, a people set, set apart, and they were, were, their lives were uh, guided by lots of rules and regulations, what they could do, and who they could mix with, groups of people they could mix with. And they didn't mix with people who had things like diseases like leprosy, because by being with them, they could be defiled by their uncleanliness. But Jesus reached out and touched the leper before he'd healed him, before he was cleansed. So Jesus was healing the man of a very serious disorder. And not only was he healing him, but he was pronouncing him to be cleansed. Now again, in Jesus' time, when somebody was healed from something like leprosy, which is a very contagious disease, there had to be a time of testing, when the person uh, remained apart from other people, just for a certain time, just to actually really test that the disease had indeed gone, so they couldn't contaminate anybody. He told the man to go to the temple, offer his sacrifice, and to be a witness to the priests. And here I'm going to quote from some notes that uh, Graham wrote for me. And he said, to show that the healing is connected to the reconciling work of God given by the covenant to the Israelites. It's an affirmation that Jesus is a promised Messiah, not a fringe radical, but one who comes in the line of and as a fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. The second healing, the healing of the paralyzed man. Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus in a room packed full of people, Pharisees and teachers of the law, and everybody listening intently to what Jesus had to say. Some because they wanted to hear his message, but others like the Pharisees because they were hoping that he might say something that they could later uh, use against him. So they were listening very intently when suddenly bits of debris, of roof, began to fall down on top of them. Bits of mud, bits of wood came showering down. Then a great hole opened up in the ceiling above them and a man was lowered on a stretcher down to Jesus' feet. The man had been brought by his friends. Now, these friends had tried to get in through the door, but there was no way in. They maybe tried to get in through the windows, but again, they couldn't get in. So they were creative. They thought creatively. They were unconventional. They brought him in through the roof and they put him down at Jesus' feet. Uh, this might make us think a little bit as well about the way that we introduce our friends to Jesus. Coming to um, church on a Sunday might not be what's going to get them in, what's going to make them want to know more. But maybe if we invited them to prayers and Prosecco, or to prayers and pastries, the sanctuary gig nights, or youth, or, or Saturday, sorry, youth football on a Saturday morning, 
That might be a way to introduce people to Jesus, an alternative way to introduce Jesus to our friends and family. So what else does this text have to tell us? Well, Bob Deffingbaugh in his commentary suggests that we can look at the contrasts in this, uh, in this text. The friends were persistent in their efforts to reach Jesus. They kept trying. The Pharisees were resistance, increasingly drawing back from Jesus. The friends overcame various obstacles. They climbed up to the roof just to get to Jesus. The Pharisees themselves were obstacles. They stopped people from coming to Jesus, keeping others from Jesus. The friends wanted others to benefit from the blessings which Jesus bestowed on men, and the Pharisees rejected his blessings and cared little about benefiting others from Jesus, others benefiting from Jesus. The response of Jesus also raises a number of questions. How can Jesus forgive this man's sin based on the faith of the friends? Isn't forgiveness of sin based on an individual's repentance and faith? How can Jesus dare to forgive a man's sin when only God can do that? And how could Jesus offer the man forgiveness of sins when what he really wanted was physical wholeness? Steve Motte, in his commentary on the healing of the paralyzed man, suggests that verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, is a pivotal point. Jesus was moved by it. Their faith, the friend's faith, was bold. It was strong. It was like Jesus' faith when he reached out and healed the leper. They were desperate to get their friends to Jesus. They believed that Jesus could heal them, could, could take away the paralysis, and they would do anything to get their friend there in front of Jesus. And Jesus responded to their faith, and he healed the man. Paul calls this faith working through love in Galatians 5, verse 6. Now, while all this was going on, the Pharisees in the background were muttering among themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, in his commentary, Steve Morty reminds us that in Jesus' time, illness and disability were often linked to sin. And indeed, the uh, Pharisees had lists of what sins caused what disability. So if you had a serious illness or you were disabled in any way, you were thought of as a sinner. You had done something which caused you to have that particular condition. So if God is willing to heal this man physically, then it follows that his sins were also forgiven. Now Jesus does dispute this assumption elsewhere in the Bible, talks out against it, but in this context, he uses it because that was what everyone in the room was thinking at the time. When they saw the paralyzed man, they would assume that he was paralyzed because he had sinned, he had done something. Jesus said to them, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Verse 24. By forgiving the man, Jesus was revealing his divinity. Jesus is God. What does this text mean for us? Luke saw Jesus as a healer and reconciler. For Jesus, healing meant reconciliation with God. Let's consider these questions. Should our prayers for healing focus on more than physical healings? Should they be more about a life reconciled to God? 
Now, we have an example in the person of Tanya, a member of our congregation, who was healed uh, physically. And I phoned her up the other day and asked for permission to use her as an example in my sermon. And we talked about before her healing and after her healing. And what she said to me was, before her healing, she felt she was not good enough for God. She felt her life was too messy for God. And this was a, a barrier, really, between her and God. But once Tanya was able to accept that God loved her as she was, he loved her with all her messiness, because that was Tanya, then she became reconciled to God. And this opened the, the, the door for God to minister in many areas of her life. And one of them was the healing uh, of her, her um, disability that she had, and all the pain that she was experiencing disappeared. And since then, her faith has grown, her relationship with God has deepened, she's got to know God better, and she knows better the plans that he has for her. I too have a very painful condition in my hip and leg. And I've had it for three or four years now. And I have prayed for healing. And I went to Focus three years ago, convinced that I was going to be healed during my time at Focus, during my week at Focus. And I went to the healing tent and people prayed with me, but I was not healed. The pain remained as intense as ever. And I was disappointed. I was really, really disappointed because I was sure that it was going to happen there. But on the last night at Focus, I went to a talk Paul Gregg was talking, and he, his sermon was preached, it was based around 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 9. St. Paul had written, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul too had some kind of affliction. We don't know what it was, but it was something that caused him a lot of pain. And he asked God, he pleaded with God to take it away from him. But God replied with, my grace is sufficient for you, for by my power is made perfect in weakness. And I felt during that sermon that God was talking specifically to me. He was saying, Morag, you are focusing. Your focus is all wrong. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Go back and learn to live with this condition that you've got. Adjust your life accordingly so that you can cope better with it. So I went and I tried to do that, and I cut down on the things I did, I slowed down the pace of my life, and as a result, I started to spend more time with God. I spent more time in prayer, I read the Bible, I spent more time in fellowship with other Christians, and I, my relationship with God developed. I got to know God better, and I was reconciled with God in many different areas of my life. I listened more to what God wanted me to do, and here I am talking to you here. So that was one of, this, one of his plans for me. Has God been reconciling you to him? Are there areas in our lives that need healing and reconciliation? Do we maybe feel, like Tanya, that we're too messy for God? Not good enough. What we've got to remember is that God loves us the way that we are. Let's give him our messy lives. Let's give him our brokenness, our hurts, our fears, our disappointments, our broken relationships, our shame. Give it all to God, asking for healing and reconciliation, trusting in his grace, forgiveness, and love, and remembering that it's his grace, forgiveness, and love that enables us in turn to forgive 
and to love others. It's what makes us whole. Let's spend a little time now thinking about areas in our life that maybe need reconciling with God. Let's take some, spend some time in silence doing this. Let's give him our brokenness, our hurts, our fears, our disappointments. God of unbounded grace, you declare the power of your reconciling love in the death and resurrection of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Teach us who live only in your forgiveness to forgive one another. Heal our divisions and cast out our fears through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.